Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Tafanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. Another week. Another week. But it was a good day for you, I know that. Yeah, it definitely was a good day for me, and it's definitely what sparked joy is that I got a lovely package from you, and it was wonderful. So excited that it got there so quickly. I think I posted it, like, Wednesday morning or something. Yeah, that was insanely quick. Like, when you texted me to be like, check your porch, I couldn't believe it. I thought <laughs> next week, maybe, if we're lucky. But no, so thank you. It was so lovely, and I loved all your little notes. That was so delightful. It was really fun to do. And I've got more original watercolour art from you, which is just a delight. I know. I'm like, I've got to stop sending it to just Jen. I have to send it to other people as well. <laughs> no, only me. I'm curating a wall. <laughs> okay, I love that. But also, I'm feeling a bit bad. I've already mentally allocated the little ghosty picture to another friend of mine who commented on Instagram about it. Outrageous. Yeah, so what sparked joy for you this week? The thing that has been sparking the most joy for me is my son has been walking around carrying a little flip notebook, like an A7 pocket-sized flip notebook, and he has been writing this ongoing story called Super Toad in this notebook every single day for the last three days. So he wrote, like, chapter one, Toad wanted to be Super Toad. Chapter two, Yoshi asked two questions. What? You can't be Super Toad. Why would you want that? Chapter three, like the whole thing. It's so well thought out and it just keeps like flipping the pages over and it is the best and it has been making me so happy and I'm just so proud that I get him to read it to everybody. So prepare for that. I'm sure I will inundate you with a video at some point. So I like, I love, I'm a writer. So whenever my kids write stories, I'm like, yes, do what mommy does. So it's really great. Adorable. I love that. It's been a good break from the lurgy. He is basically writing fan fiction. I know. And I was trying to explain that. I was trying to explain that to my daughter. She was talking about something Harry Potter related because she's in the middle of Goblet of Fire. Mm. Um, And I was like, oh, yeah, in the fandom, we talk a lot about this and that. She's like, what's the fandom? And I was just like, oh, (laughs) oh, you don't know. I'm going to have to find her some age appropriate fic so she can read it and be like, this is great. I love this. Cute. Well, this week we're reading chapters 63 to 70 through the theme of secrets. Now, do you have a story for us about secrets? I do. I have a story about the best kept secret of my life. Okay, so when I was 19, I met this dude on the internet and we started talking. And then like six months later, we figured out that we wanted to spend the rest of our lives together. Reader, I married him. So it's just a spoiler there. (laughs) This posed a problem at the time, though, because we both lived on different continents. So I was in the U.S., was making coffee, bicycling around town, being a hippie. um, And Simon was just entering his final years of university here in Australia. So that meant we bought a lot of calling cards and we were on MSN Messenger all of the time. And we knew the other person's time zone and their schedule so intimately because we had to know when we could call. It was just wild. Like, it was wild how much we knew about each other without actually being in the same place. But it came to a point where we were like, we're going to have to do something. It was too good of a connection to not actually like try and make it work. Now, enter Simon's best friend, Rich. Rich has known Simon since primary school and had watched this very grumpy guy turn into a literal ray of sunshine over a matter of months. So when the cat was finally out of the bag that, you know, Simon had met a girl, Rich was like, I'm going to move heaven and earth to make sure this happens. So he got all of their friends together and he emailed me and said, look, I was just thinking maybe we could fly you out for Simon's birthday because it's coming up and we can help you out with the ticket. And I, of course, was like, yes, let's do this. Let's make this the best surprise of Simon's life. And it was so unbelievably generous. I mean, I couldn't not do it. 
but it was also a huge thing in terms of risk, right? So I left my apartment, like I gave up my lease, I sold all my furniture, I moved a bunch of my stuff over to my friend's place. I ended up couch surfing. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, when I got back. And also, you know, you're I was flying across an ocean to meet someone in real life that I had only met online. But I was ready. Mm. I knew I was ready. The biggest problem was, though, I had to keep it a secret because it was a surprise. And this was super difficult. While I was doing all of this stuff, like moving and giving up my lease and selling my furniture, I was still talking to Simon every day. And I had this gap of like two days where I would be in the air and I couldn't account for them. So I told him, I said, oh, I'm going down to my mom's for the weekend because every August we have a family reunion, which is true. And they live in the mountains, which is true. So there's not great phone coverage. That's not true. But I will call you as soon as I'm back, I swear. Except instead of calling him, I just got to crash another person's birthday party and turn up in real life. So the night I flew in, Rich and another friend, Jen, picked me up from the airport. And Rich basically got me into this bar. It was at Angel Place. And he put me on a bar stool. And Rich is massive. He's like six foot nine. He stood in front of me. And so and they went and got Simon. So I could see him coming down the stairs. And he had no idea that I was there. He had, they had no he had no clue. And it was such a good secret. So the look on his face, that disbelief and that joy, that's going to stay with me forever. And then I got the very best Aww. hug of my life. It was just a wonderful moment because it was like, yes, it's all going to work and it's all going to be okay. So yeah, that was the story of the best kept secret. It was super hard. I really hated not being able to tell him because I knew it would make him so happy. But I'm really glad we managed to keep it a surprise. And it is the best surprise that I've ever pulled off in my life. Amazing. Like the grandest of grand gestures. Pretty much, yeah. It was awesome. I just get so happy thinking about it too. Like I'm never going to be that amazing again. It's my one big gamble was like, I will just do this. I will say yes to all of this. Amazing. It's quite a brave thing, hey, because you just... I mean, you knew, but you also don't know, do you? So I'll be honest. My biggest thing was, oh my gosh, what if this guy is shorter than me? And this is such a dumb thing. (laughs) It is so dumb. I think I would have made it work anyway. But like, for me, it felt like a big deal. I don't know. I'm not Mm. that tall, but I'm not that short either. So I was like, no, no, Mm. this person has to be taller than me. Like, I never think of it as like an impediment, really. But for me, it was such a big deal. Isn't that so silly? so funny my shameful secret is that I can't I could never date someone smaller than me I think it's so funny like I because I don't care about height at all and I'm like not short but yeah the idea of dating someone shorter than me is I'm like yeah I love that I love being able to like put my arm on someone's head I quite enjoy that I really love that there's now a real appreciation for short kings out there because I feel like short guys Mm. really get a bad rap including from me shamefully from me (laughs) well thank you for sharing that that was so lovely and so wholesome (laughs) because I think secrets are always like sinister but this is just like a secret deployed for a good reason yeah I actually had a really hard time thinking of something I was like boy I don't really have secrets because like is it like a secret or is it just something that I'm really private about or is it like I have information about someone else I was trying really hard to think about what a secret was I even went and looked it up and like from the Latin secretus so set apart withdrawn hidden concealed private so it's kind of like secret it is adjacent to privacy but also it has comes from the same root as sieve so like to filter out to selectively tell Mm. which I thought was really interesting that is interesting yeah Um, Well, I'll do our chapter summaries and then we can get stuck into it. So Agatha and Penny turn up at Baz's place to discover Simon there and the four of them spend the day going over what they know. Agatha tries to walk back her Christmas uninvite, but Simon doesn't really buy it. He leaves with the girls only to come straight back to Baz's place. Agatha takes inspiration from a girl who left the world of mages and in Lucy's memory, we see the moment of creation. Eb, meanwhile, has been arrested. Mm. Outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. To go back to what you just said about the selective information, like Mm. sieving out, 
I think that is exactly what the mage does, right? Like he doesn't confine his secrets into anyone. He doesn't tell Lucy. He doesn't. He doesn't have any confidants currently. You know, he doesn't tell Simon anything. Like he just is very selective. Like his mage's men are basically just a militia that he doesn't trust with anything. Like they don't really know the reason why they're doing what they're yeah. doing. He's just the worst. He is, and I think the thing with Lucy that really struck me was that he was very open with all of his research with her because he didn't really expect her to judge him for it. So he never yeah. bothered keeping it a secret from her. But that was the last person he really confided in, right? Like, they had this house together. There's this bit where she says, you know, he inherited a house, a cottage from a grandmother, and I followed him there. And he would mm. write all of the prophecies on the wall and diagram the sentences. Like, I mean, I'm imagining the red string. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but he just lived that way. And, like, she was one expected to carry everything else. But she was also living like that secretly. She was writing her mom these letters that weren't real. She didn't see Metallian yeah. Martin after their fight. But he still doesn't, like, he's open with her and he wants to hear her opinion. Like, what do you think the sentence mm. means? But when it comes to the nitty gritty of actually doing something, he doesn't trust her with that. Like, she talks about him coming back with lots of vials of things and blood yeah. that were different colours and she doesn't know what he's doing. And then he murders her chickens. Like, what is he up to? She doesn't really know, right? Yeah. But she's so in love with him that she's just like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and even the warning bells are, and I'll talk about this in my in-depth, but even some of the warning bells are like, I thought I just needed to stay there. I, I thought if I stayed, it would help. Like, it wouldn't be so bad if I were there. Yeah, she breaks my heart, honestly. Davy's gonna do what Davy's gonna do, man. But Eb and Nicodemus also kind of break my heart a little bit. Like, they've got the secret. Like, so Nico goes to visit her secretly mm -hmm. on Christmas, and they have this ritual, and she has to keep the secret of what happened to her brother. Like, she can't even talk about him because it's law, right? He's been stricken from the book. She can't talk about him. And they were so close they could use each other's magic. Yeah. Like they could use each other's wands. And now he's gone and arrested Eb because she's so powerful and I just, I hate him so much for, I actually hate everyone in this world for their obsession with power. Like it's such mm -hmm. an insidious thing. Like it's just in everything. Like Agatha's mum and even the way like it just trickles down from the adults into the kids and they mm. internalise it. Like Agatha's like I could never marry a normal. I'm expected to marry to like restore power to the family. And how her parents never had more kids because she was adequate yep. but not great. Because there's this old wives tale that the more kids you have it dilutes your magic and, and then you've got Penny. with the Salisbury's right like Lucy the elder yeah. is much more powerful and then you get Jamie who's a dud we don't know about Jamie yet but he exists and he's a dud yeah and then like Matali is also kind of obsessed with power but she's still married Martin and everyone knows Martin doesn't have as much power and like Agatha's mum has that quote about the bunces and then even Baz you know his family married for power for centuries mm. right and so he has this thing about Daphne's blood being as thin as gruel which is horrific and it's just like such a damaging situation to be in I think like that's where a lot of the expectations in the world of mages comes from mm -hmm. is from this like obsession with power to keep it to grow it that's what motivates the mage as well like he's consumed with power makes me sad yeah and he's already the mage is already powerful this is what really gets me is that he's he's not wrong in a lot of the things he cares about right like he in that fight with Vitaly he brings up mm. two things which I would care about 100% which is the illnesses of non-mage magical mm -hmm. folk like pixies having diseases he brings that up as something to worry about and also the suicide rates of low magic users like he is trying to protect people like Lucy's little brother and this is 100% part of why Lucy is like yeah he's got some good ideas and this is why she says he's more good than bad on balance because he does care about people he can't really care about the people but he cares about the idea of these people having justice theoretically though right? yeah because exactly theoretically now that he he is in power he's not doing anything except being obsessed with keeping power he spends his time 
raiding people's houses, you know? Like Matali yeah. says on that fight, page 401, how is revolution going to help the pixies? How is throwing aside centuries of tradition and institutional knowledge going to help any of us? And she's right about that too. Yeah. I love the politics in this particular section. It's so good. Everyone is in this expectation of the role they're supposed to fulfill yeah. in society. It's also secrets, right? Because no one's being honest about how they actually feel because it's treasonous. So that fight between Agatha and Penny is mm-hmm. quite good for that too. And like when Agatha says, you know, like it matters whether you've broken the law or not, whether you're going to get put on trial when you do something against the mage. Yeah. And Baz is like, you see, it's yeah. not just me. So I love that you see that. I love how much they agree and disagree with yeah. each other all at the same time. I'm really into it. Penny is so forceful in this. I really am annoyed with her at how forceful she is. She basically bullies Agatha into driving mm. her to some place she wouldn't want to be. And she says it's for like this greater good, but I don't know. I think she just doesn't really recognize that Agatha wants nothing to do with this. And Agatha's telling her time and time again, like, no, I want normal friends and I want to have normal friendships. Like, I want to hang out and watch television. I don't want to be down a well. Yeah, I think Penny really struggles like with expectations because because she can only, it's almost like she can't really empathize because she can only do what she thinks she would want in that situation, mm-hmm. right? So she expects Agatha to be glad to be included because if the roles were reversed, she would want to be included, yeah. right? So she talks about how, you know, she thought a good mystery might distract her and then she should have remembered that Agatha doesn't appreciate a good mystery, right? And also she's a snitch, so it's no longer important to get her in on things because she's just going to tell. She can't keep the secret. I did love that as a whole secret thing, this idea that, you know, they're keeping secrets from Agatha Mm. Penny doesn't feel like she has the right to share the secret with Agatha just like Simon didn't feel like he had the right to share the secret with Penny right because it's Baz's secret and then Baz puts it back on Simon being like it's your call whether you want to tell Agatha or not do you trust her and she is so outraged at the idea that Baz is questioning whether Simon trusts her I know I love that she was fuming it said oh so good but I love that Baz asks Simon because then Simon immediately admits what he knows to be true which is I do to a point I trust her not to Mm. be evil and she wouldn't be evil she's just more like lawful good you know yeah which is its own kind of evil it can be it can cause more problems than solve them yeah if you're just following orders but your orders are rubbish then what right well exactly and she doesn't want to be in trouble so that's why she's like i was never here and it like you see it coming from her mom too when she says whatever she says about the mage and her mom goes agatha don't be treasonous or like you know she yeah. kind of pulls her up on that and you see that and you go oh okay so that's where agatha gets that fear from yeah i find agatha's relationship with her parents so interesting because they obviously love her but they're not close right like they're very disconnected mm. from her life they just don't even notice that she's been gone all day she turns up late for dinner and they're like oh you can come with us but then no one goes to find her and she's like should I tell my mum and then she's like nah and then she says you know Simon is always fine which is blatantly untrue Simon is never fine no he's never fine this is the thing about Agatha is that I can really understand why she is the way she is and also I totally buy into that whole she's a teenager because she's so selfish like she gets really upset that she's meant to be the consolation prize which is fair but in doing that she then like doesn't have room to acknowledge that actually like all of the things that Simon has or hasn't got is a huge problem for him and like she's not actually being empathetic to that I guess she gets close to it right like when she's got looking at that photo of Lucy she's lying on a bed mm. and she's imagining this child that Lucy has squirreled away to America right and she's like yeah. oh imagine being the major's child and she's like and Simon ended up with that burden instead which of course hilarious I know because... I'm like you're so close Agatha you are so close it's the same when Penny says to Baz not the mage the murderer and I'm like why not both <laughs> porque no los dos Ugh. Another great Agatha moment, though, I love, I just love, and it's to do with secrets too, is when she talks about Baz being a vampire mm. and Simon's like, you can't tell anyone. And she's like, <laughs> you've told everyone. <laughs> 
that bird made me laugh too. The other one I really loved was when Penny is like, oh, did you went to a vampire bar. Did you take pictures? And Simon goes, no, they don't show up in pictures. And then Baz goes, that's mirrors. And he goes, you can't see yourself in a mirror? I love that whole section because Agatha's like, wait, did he just admit to being a vampire? I just, mm-hmm. It's all so great. It's great. It is great. And when Agatha says to him, oh, you should go see my dad because his leg hurts. And he's like, oh, he sees vampires now, does he? <laughs> So sassy, Baz. Well, she knows for sure, right? She caught him eating dinner in the Wavering Wood that last mm. year, right? So she knows she's known for sure before anyone else. I also think, yeah, you know, Baz is keeping that secret about being kidnapped. He doesn't want anyone to know. Yeah. And Simon is so horrified by it, but both by what happened to Baz, but also just the fact that he didn't know. Like he just hates that this whole thing happened. And I love that he's so insistent that it wouldn't have taken six weeks to find Baz if he yeah. was involved. He's like, why yes. didn't you just ask? I would have come and found you. It wouldn't have taken six weeks. Like, he just really wants Baz to have not been hurting and alone and kidnapped. Okay, so this is something I really love. Simon may not be the best at things, but he is so willing to talk about them, even though it's hard for him in this section, in a way that he never was with Agatha, right? Like, we can mm-hmm. just immediately think back to it. Just a few chapters ago, he's not able to talk to Agatha. He's not able to say the things, but he keeps trying with Baz. He won't have those things be a secret. He keeps pushing for, okay, but we'll solve this problem together, and then we'll solve the next problem together, and then we're not going to fight each other, right? Like, mm-hmm. he keeps pushing for that. And I love that. I love that he is so open with it. He doesn't want to have secrets from Baz. He doesn't want to hide anything. He wants to be his terrible boyfriend. The bit that drives me wild, because I think Simon really internalizes this, and we'll see this in Mm. Wayward Son, is when he says to Baz on page 390, I like you, and I don't care that you don't like me. I'm used to it. I wouldn't know what to do if you did. Baz never corrects him on this. Yeah, and he needs to. And, like, we know that Baz is, like, madly in love with Simon, but they just never talk about this. Like, he just thinks that Baz genuinely disdains Mm. him, right? Like, even though they've had this whole thing, ugh, it makes my heart hurt. Yeah. And I love that Simon is so aware that he's like if I didn't go back Baz would just pretend that this whole thing wouldn't yeah. happen because that's Baz is all like gaslight gatekeep girl boss like he's all on that buzz like <laughs> I had the same it. thought I'm like he's afraid of getting gaslit by Baz like he's been gaslit before by the mage for sure he might not know that it was happening in that particular way but he doesn't like it when things aren't as he sees them but Baz is so used to like he doesn't like being vulnerable right mm-hmm. like he can't expose any vulnerability so he's that's what he does he just yeah. shuts down yeah totally Yeah, I think it would be, I can't wait for when we cover the next two books and we get to see Baz opening up a little bit more and being a little bit less prickly. I mean, he's always going to be a bit prickly, but... I think we already, like, when Simon has this conversation with him about being a terrible boyfriend, right? Like, and he's so defensive because he thinks he knows where it's going. And then yeah. Simon's like, no, no. And then Baz lets him see, he eats in front of him and he lets him look at his fangs. Like, mm-hmm. that is such a moment of vulnerability for him to, like, do that. It's such a big deal. It is. And it's so cute how excited Simon is. That's the best part. I know, part. it's so adorable. It's like, wicked. Can I touch them? <laughs> Weird. I know. And I love how annoyed Baz is by all of this, but he's also secretly like, oh, good. He does. He's not disgusted. He's not running away. Like, it's so affirming, but also irritating. Oh, Baz. I love when Malcolm is like, you should go see someone. Like, your mother thinks it'd be a good idea for you to talk to someone. And he's like, a psychologist? Malcolm's like, to talk about your, what does he say? What is the line? Your situation. About your situation. I'm like, which situation? He has so many. Which one Mm -hmm. do you want him to talk about? Is it the the, the kidnapping that you think you should probably get some help for? Because, yeah, okay, maybe you should have done that sooner. Is it the vampirism? Because, like, I feel like that should have been a 
addressed years ago as well. Maybe, you know, some trauma counseling. And don't just don't smoke your flammable, but like actually talk about it. It's the fact that he's gay and like you people act like you're just going to marry mm. him off anyway. Like, what do you want to talk about here? Malcolm? Malcolm, <laughs> I need you to focus. I know. I think of him as this dapper little guy, yet Simon thinks he looks like a pit viper. Mm. I'm like, no, he's just he's just a very taciturn farmer. He's not. Yeah. I just think of him as a Scottish farmer. Um, This is tangential, but on page 361, when they're in the library, right? Mm. And Simon's saying, you know, I've said I'm not going to kill you, but you haven't said anything. And Baz is like, no, you haven't. And Simon says, it must have been implied. And I'm like, that's it. That's the whole relationship. That is their entire relationship. Is someone just going, well, it was implied. You guys, learn to communicate. But then Simon immediately is like, I'm definitely not going to kill you. And Baz is like, good, then I'm sure it'll make it a lot easier for me to kill you and I'll weep over your corpse. Like, chill out, buddy, for one second. Let this boy tell his, like, he just wants to talk and tell his feelings for you. Let him talk. Although I do love that Baz says he'll weep over his corpse because, like, you know, Agatha was like, I don't know how I'll react. I know however I'll react, it won't be enough. And Baz Mm. is like, I'll have to weep in secret. (laughs) I love these idiots so much. Me too. I like that Baz is already, because he's so private and he's so secretive anyway. He's like, okay, we can can be, I'll be Simon's secret. Because he's already had Simon as his secret for years. Like, he's been watching him sleep for years as his consolation prize. But I also love that Simon, not really knowing if he's gay or not, is still like, no, I still want to be your boyfriend let's be boyfriends let's do this like Mm. he's like make it official babe he isn't worried about it being a secret or not being a secret he just wants it to happen and i really love that because i think baz was expecting the opposite yeah like all hush hush right Mm. i do think it's interesting how when you first like start dating someone how often it is a secret like you don't really tell people about it until you really know where things are you know like so we have this day, Simon Baz have spent all night making out, now the girls have turned up and they don't know how to act around each other, they don't mm-hmm. really know how to behave, and then, you know, you also see that with the secret relationship thing, like, Agatha hasn't told her parents that she's broken up with Simon, right? Yeah. They still expect him to come over. Yeah, and they think he's having dinner, like, Christmas with the mage, which is not what's happening. Like, no one actually no. checked with Simon to see if he had something on at Watford. Is the mage going to spend Christmas with him? Like, everybody was just like, alright, off you go, bye, we're leaving to our families, and no one actually checked that he would have someone to spend the day with what the heck expectations come through and that for me a lot it's like this expectation of tradition right like especially around Mm -hmm. christmas and like big holidays so everyone just expects that there's something that's happening so you know the pitchers get dressed up and agatha's parents do their like moving christmas dinner and the mage is doing something auspicious on the day like it's fine and he is like he's probably doing some dark ritual because he's like there's power in this day Yeah, he's the worst. He's the literal worst. The fact that he isn't spending time with Simon, who is his actual child, it makes me crazy. I know. He could just do, like, the barest of minimum efforts. But Agatha is so right. She, You know, she makes that comment about, I don't think he even knows my name. Mm -hmm. He doesn't. No, and he doesn't pay any attention to anyone. He doesn't, like, never really pays attention to Ebb or anything around him. And Agatha's right. He doesn't like children. Just make the barest effort with this child who you've inflicted this horrible burden upon, like. I think it's really interesting that we have these two secrets, right? We have the knowledge that Simon isn't just a foundling. He's actually a part of the magical community. He's the mage's actual son as well as the mage's heir. Well, actually, three secrets, right? We also have Lucy, who is 
everybody's treating her like she ran off and disappeared. Why are they not treating it like a missing persons case? Why has nobody gone for her? It really bugs me. And then Baz, who's had to live as a vampire for all of these years, like he's living in secret and Mm. he's annoyed about it, but he's actually kind of been able to acknowledge it freely with Simon for the, like maybe for the first time ever. Yeah, and I think this is something we'll see with Baz's character through the other books as well as the fact that he no longer has to hide this part of himself that really allows him to kind of flourish and find himself because when you're suppressing so much of who you are... Absolutely. Yeah, you know, he's just so tightly wound. But um, Lucy really... I'm trying to remember what happens. Like, this whole story, this fiction that she spins for her parents and for her mum. I don't know, did she write a letter where she's like, I'm going to America, don't come to look for me? Yeah, I feel like like she was covering her tracks, but in that way... It kind of backfired. You know, even if she was, like, trying to avoid her family or her friends because they don't like Davy, that is still an extreme thing to do. Yeah. Like, surely you'd want your parents involved in your kid's life. Part of me thinks that the mage lied to them and said that she went to America to cover up the fact that she died because he messed something up. Yeah, I wonder. It feels like the kind of thing he'll do. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him to just be like, well, uh, this is a better idea than me having to raise this kid. I'll uh, I'll stick him with normals so he grows up with the language. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Like, Davey, my friend, my man, you could just get him a normal babysitter. Yeah, which actually, I love how the staff traditionally just know all the secrets. Like, you know, it's always the staff. I had that put down too. Because Helen knows the story with Lucy and Vera knows basically everything that happens in the Pitch Mansion, even though she thinks they're in the Mafia. It's just, you know, it's always the staff. It's like very Downton Abbey. That's what I thought too. Very upstairs, downstairs, right? That you have like all of yeah. these family secrets aren't really a secret because they belong to the staff as well, who are compensated I guess for their knowledge and their service but it's still this really weird power imbalance where secrets are the information that they have but like what do they get if they tell them or do they just have to carry them yeah and then like shows like Game of Thrones or like in the book as well you know secrets is a real currency it's what you know and how you use it and when you deploy the secret that can Mm. really make or break a whole thing right so you've got your master of whispers gathering secrets I guess I rely a lot on like whispers like that for my intuition just thinking back to like when I knew things were going bad it was always because I'd kind of heard something but hadn't been able to make sense of it but I was able to understand that it was part of a larger pattern Mm. I'm a bit like Agatha I just well actually I'm a bit like Penny in that like I just don't understand that secrets are secrets unless somebody tells me don't tell anyone I just don't know that I'm not supposed to I kind of I'm the opposite I basically treat anything anyone says to me as a secret but then I also tend to when people tell me secrets and they're like don't tell anyone I'm like I'll I'll forget this immediately don't worry about it (laughs) this is not relevant to my life and therefore I will forget it oh see my problem is I'll remember for years and it's kind of a superpower, but like the worst sort of superpower. Sometimes people will tell me secrets and I'll be like, oh yeah, no, I did know that. I just forgot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I-, I like how Simon starts out just as a tangent. I like how he starts out by trying to get Baz to be his boyfriend by saying, I'm a terrible boyfriend. Like, way to bury the lead. I know. Like, where do you think this is going to go? <laughs> yeah. Baz makes it so hard for Simon, though. He really does not give him any opportunity. He's just always on the offensive, Mm. always assumes the worst. He just doesn't believe that anything good is going to happen. So he just, like, shuts it down. It's like Simon says, you know, do you ever not go for the kill shot? Yeah, I thought that was such a good thing for Simon to pick up on and point out. Like, he needs to call, somebody needs to call Baz out on this because he's been unchecked, I think. He remains sort of above and apart from all of these things. Like, he is in himself a secret. He doesn't feel like he's part of humanity, so he doesn't really join into humanity in the same way, which is really sad. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I, he needs to communicate more. 
he just needs to allow himself to like integrate with other people this is the thing he keeps himself apart as well because he is so fearful of someone discovering his secret he is mm-hmm. very conscious of the expectations of his station of his part this role he has to play right so yeah. anytime he involves himself if he involves himself with simon he just envisions this tragedy that's going to happen when he has to like break his own heart essentially so it's easier just not to care or yeah. pretend not to care so you can push other people away i wonder if there if people didn't treat secrets so like there's so much in this text everybody has a lot of secrets and people really treat secrets as like something you can't broach or ask about and and when agatha sort of says to her mom well could i ask lady salisbury about her daughter and her mom's like oh, oh no. gosh no 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 it's a big scandal and she's never spoken about her since but i think that i think that lady ruth would have talked to agatha if agatha had asked what we know about her now right yeah. like sure but even even in that little description you know Page 397. I do know Lady Salisbury. She's probably my grandmother's age, but she hangs out in my mother's set. She tells body jokes and always encourages everyone to eat more cake. I feel like she would probably appreciate the opportunity to talk about her daughter in the same way that Eberly appreciated the opportunity to talk about her brother. Like, the people that we love and we've lost, we're always thinking about them and we want them to come back or we we want to talk about them. No, you're right, because also Agatha, Agatha's mum, the the reason she says not to is like, oh, she broke down and, you know, told this story. And it's because emotion is viewed as a weakness, right? The same mm-hmm. way that the pitchers would view emotion as a weakness. So. Yeah. It's not that it's improper to ask Lady Ruth. It's just that they think her reaction was improper and therefore you shouldn't broach it. Like, she herself probably doesn't think it's improper at all, you know? Yeah. Um, for expectations, I did think there were a few there that were great. Um, the way that Helen, who works for Agatha's family, waits until Agatha's mom's out of the room to say things. Mm. I think that was part of the, like, the expectation is for Helen to have a formal relationship, but she treats Agatha a little bit less formally. And also Baz and his dad, like they keep things very formal. Yeah. But his dad still really wants to talk. And I think he keeps saying your mother as a proxy for I, <laughs> which is something I noticed. Yeah. It's interesting because Baz talks about mirroring his dad, right? Like practicing in the mirror to be like his mm-hmm. father and like be, you know, more cool and calm. And it's like, that's all fine, Baz, but you don't have to do that to your dad. You know, you don't have to be yeah. so disaffected to your father. This, it's this weird thing where you don't know if someone's behaving that way because they are expected to or if just you expect that that's what they expect of you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he is just performing what he thinks he should be. But maybe his dad would be willing to have a proper conversation with him if he was. I think he's trying to right there. I think he just doesn't know how to say, I'm worried about you. I think you need to see a counselor. I would like to know if you're okay. Like he's actually digging. He's just doing a very bad job of it. And he's using that removed language of your mother, your mother, your mother. Like I don't think Daphne has been the one to say all of these things. I think that Malcolm is a lot more intuitive than we'd give him credit for. Yeah, and also just Baz being so prickly and so defensive. It doesn't invite conversation, right? No. Like, it doesn't give Malcolm an And I remember when I was a teen, I would bite my dad's head off all the time at any attempt at conversations. Seeing many similarities between myself and young Basilton, I can't imagine he would have been much different. Oh, yeah, I was a terrible teen. And I'm seeing that now with my daughter, who's almost 11. She's starting to get really, like, at things. I think it's funny. That's a mistake. Thinking it's funny is the first mistake. Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't tell a joke because it will never go down well. I hated it when I was like upset about something, however stupid it was. And my parents yeah. would crack a joke and now I'm doing it. And I'm like, ah, you either die here or live long enough to become the villain. That's what I'm learning. But I think it's so funny because it's just, cl- it's that classic thing of time, right? Like when you're that young, when you're going through it, it does feel like the biggest deal ever. And then mm. your parents are just like, you're being an idiot. I remember being an idiot. You're being an idiot. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> oh my gosh. Gotta remember how it felt. Felt real. 
Yeah, it definitely felt real. Um, do we think that Agatha is Simon's inner critic? Oh. This is my thought, because when he was having that mini breakdown in the car, when Agatha was going on full-on yeah. rant, he kept thinking about what she would say about him and Baz. Not what he was thinking, because he knew what he wanted. He wanted to go back to Baz, and he wanted to go and kiss Baz and play happy boyfriends. He knew that, and he was willing to admit that, but he kept thinking about what Agatha would say, which was, you're not even gay, and he's not even alive. I think that Agatha to Simon represents the expectation of the world of mages. She mm-hmm. is his destiny. She is everything that you're supposed to want in the world of mages. Ages, she is, you know, like tradition embodied, yeah. right? It was never her fault that he was a bad boyfriend, which is why he couldn't break yeah. up with her. He couldn't live up to the expectations that is embodied by her, which is again, like, I feel for Agatha because she's never really seen as a person. She's never really her own person. Mm. It's only what people think she is. And so him hearing her voice, I think, is him thinking, this is what the world of mages will say of this situation, yeah. right? And I think it's so telling that when he's imagining what she's saying, he's like, and what will the mage say? That's when he, like, yeets himself out of the car. He's yeah. like, I gotta get out. Like, yeah. you can't imagine having that conversation with the mage. Do you even have a conversation with the mage? Do, like, is that even possible? No. The mage doesn't listen. No. Also, it's none of his business. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think as as the parent figure, he ought to be making sure that Simon knows how to use protection and is aware of consequences, but, like, doesn't need to know specifics, for sure. I shudder to think what the sex education program at Watford is like. They don't even have a drama society, so I'm sure that it's terrible. Maybe, like... Miss Possibel has her has things covered though. She seems pretty across it. Just true, yeah. She'll be the kind of teacher who's using her own money to like, you know, spruce up her classroom and provide mm-hmm. things for the students because there's no funding because Davy is using all the funding for his own private militia. Like a sane human. I think that he's not just raiding houses for fun. I think he's actually trying to find that solution for the broken vessel that is Simon. Right? That's what he said he was doing. But he's still raiding people's houses. Well, I think he also just likes... He likes flexing. Especially with the old families, he likes flexing, I think. Mm -hmm. With the Bunsons and stuff, I think that shows that he is actually genuinely looking for something. But the fact that he's raided the pitch manor, you know, twice in a month. Does he want a recipe for fairies or something? Come on. Honestly. I love that Penny described the vibe of the house as, let's sacrifice a virgin and write a great Led Zeppelin album. But then she also like goes, but the library is great. And Daphne seems lovely. Like she, I love how she makes a snap judgment and then she kind of reassesses it, like yeah. adds little caveats. Like she is so convinced she knows what's right. And like she's so convinced in her opinions, mm-hmm. but then she always has these like little caveats. It's quite cute. Yeah, she has a firm idea of what is, but then it never actually lines up with how she experiences yeah. reality, which I think is really interesting. And part of why she has that crisis in book three, right? Where she's like, you know what? I don't, I don't know. I don't know all of the things. Which I think is very important. Yeah. So a good thing to track is all of Penny's um, assurances. She's very assured. Yeah. yeah. She's always telling Simon it's not possible, even though her eyes have just shown her that it is possible. Yeah. That drives me mental. Like when people do that, when someone goes, that's not possible. I'm like, well, here we stand and yep. here we have witnessed this thing. So how is it helpful to me for you to stand there and tell me that it's not possible? You feel this with your tech issues, I'm sure, yes. all the time. <laughs> it's booty from the backup. It can't do that. Yes, it is. It's doing that. Hey, it's booting from the backup. Did I not tell you that? Weird things just happen to me. I don't understand why. It's fine. I'm accustomed to this. It's because you're a little bit magic. Well, thanks. It does frustrate me when people tell me that it's not happening the way that it's happening, though. Yeah. 
don't question my experience of reality. Yeah. Um, can we also talk about, just as another tangent, Baz's older sibling spite, where he says, if you tell on me, I'll stop up all the chimneys so Father Christmas can't get in. There are too many chimneys, Mordelia counters. Not for me, I say. I'm willing to put the time in. Baz, why are you fighting with the seven-year-old? I do love his attention. Like, when he makes her go out and knock again, when she just comes into his room, he's like, nope, knock. He's so big, big, big energy. Yeah. Yeah. Love he's it. such Get a brat. Him. He's such a big sibling. Like, I completely was that awful. I was way worse to my sisters. I'm sure that they could tell you horror stories about me. <laughs> I I definitely love that. I love that Baz is so bratty because there's no reason to be. This is literally a seven-year-old. If you're arguing with a seven-year-old, you have bigger problems, I think. It's the principle of the thing. <laughs> Well, and like, yes, she should definitely knock, but also she's a seven-year-old. He's just teaching her manners. What what else is he supposed to do? He's so mean, but I think she's so much like him. Yeah, I think he's mean, but I think you can also tell that there's real love there, right? Like, yeah, he yeah. really, really dotes on his siblings, so yeah, even Yeah, but he says he that mean. thing about, like, I despair if she were a pitch, but, like, he, she's just as bratty as he is. Like, she's just yeah. as bratty as he is. I'm like, all of the things about you, my dear Baz, are showing up in Mordelia, so. The things we don't like in other people are the things in ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that made me laugh was uh, on page 391 where Simon was talking about Baz's fangs. I can't believe there's a part of your body that grows when you need it. You're like a mutant. I'm a vampire, Baz says. And can you hear yourself? It made me laugh so much. <laughs> I love on page 369 when Baz says to Penny, you know, she's getting all upset that they can't go back to the vampire bar. And he's like, the ethics on you, Buns. <laughs> I love that. I actually love that Penny has no scruples. Like, she just uses magic for her own gain all the mm-hmm. time and it just gives me such joy i just love it i think that's what i would be like so i'm into it one of the things i really love about chef in book three and i don't know if this is a spoiler but like she keeps paying for things with magic yeah. and like, where is it coming from why are you doing this stop he's using like i've got F- money stop using the f boss with your gem like just i can pay for this so funny it is really funny and i just yeah i love that she just doesn't think about it she doesn't even consider that a thing right mm. she's morally gray and i find that really interesting yeah i love that about um, penny too because like i've said with agatha she's like a rule follower but it is to the detriment of what is right whereas mm. penny will skirt a lot of rules but she always will do what she feels is right yeah by her own moral code yeah it just happens to line up with the narrative and what we appreciate in the narrative more yeah which is interesting it's another secret right that they've kept this whole mission secret like from the mage natasha didn't tell them that you can't tell anyone you can't tell anyone else that i've given you this mission but these children are just like yeah no we'll just solve this on our own and not tell anyone else can you imagine what it would have been like if simon had come to the mage and said i got a visiting from the old headmistress and she wants me to avenge her death what do I do? What a crisis he would have had. He would have just fabricated something in like the humdrum, right? And come up with some story. Yeah. Well, and yeah, because most of the time Simon just accepts it. I think there are a few moments where we see him really pulling away though, where, you know, he's he's not in on the secrets that the mage, like he isn't actually privy to what the mage does, right? He doesn't actually mm-hmm. know. And he's really feeling it this year, right? He's not included. He's not looped in. He's not in any of the briefings. Yep. And the bit where, where Baz says, you know, your mentor has raided our house twice this month. And he goes, yeah, oh no, I didn't know that, but I didn't raid your house. Like he's putting a clear, like, but I'm not mm-hmm. him. And I think that's the first time really 
that or not the first time, but I, I think we're starting to really see the definition of that where he's he's really defining mm. himself not as the mage's heir, but like, no, I'm not him and I'm going to do what I need yep. to do. That's right. But that's not necessarily what he's doing. And in that same section, just further along, like Baz says, well, how am I supposed to not think about that when I'm talking to the mage's heir? And he says, is that all that you see me as? Like, is that all you think of me? Mm. Of? Right. Like he wants to have a personality. He wants to be seen as something beyond that. Yeah. And I think that it's really hard for him, too, because you know, he wasn't allowed to go to Christmas at the Bunces because of that, because he's the mage's yeah. heir, and he has all these expectations from everyone else because he's the mage's heir, and he's never lived up to them, so... And the mage doesn't actually do anything for him, he doesn't include him, he doesn't give him any warmth, like the barest scrap of attention. Thank goodness for Eb, because Eb, I think, has been the best thing about Watford. They both needed each other so much, like Eb needed someone so much, and Simon needed someone so much. I love how open-minded Simon is, right? Like, he is just so willing to accept people as they are like yeah. even in this section there's a on page 371 you know when penny sits down next to baz and her like he sees that baz's nostrils flare and he says i guess he's gone this long without any anyone yeah. so i'm not going to be too bothered by it like he's made a decision he knows where things is and he's mm. just gone yep mm -hmm. and he's always pulling penny up on her prejudices and he'll pull baz up on his prejudices he's yeah. just like so good he's not snobby but his three best friends are all snobs massive snobs yeah I love that for him. Yeah, I just really love him so much. And I think that he's really trying and he's doing his best and he's just about to get horribly traumatized and I'm not looking forward to it. No, but we'll be there for him. We're going right. to help him through. We're going to love him and Baz will love him and Penny will love him. I love the line on page 363 where, you know, Baz says to him, is that how you get what you want by just repeating it until it comes true? And Simon says, isn't that how you cast a spell? I just love that. I think it's so sweet. He's so smart. That, like This always gets pushed to the side because Baz is so intelligent and Penny is so intelligent. But Simon is smart and when he has the comebacks, they're perfect every time. He's also got incredible instincts and he's mm -hmm. so good in a fight. When your back is against the wall, Simon is the one you want to be in charge, quite frankly. like He's yeah. going to get you out of there. He's the one you want to follow. Like, yeah, Penny and Baz have the spell but Simon's going to have the strategy. So yeah, exactly. I think, you know, give him credit. Also, the line on page 364 lives in my brain rent-free. Sometimes mm -hmm. it'll just pop into my brain when I'm minding my business, but it's that whole bit where Bear says I'd cross every line for him, I'm in love with him, and he likes this better than fighting. I love that too. I love, I love that. And the other one that I love is just the the declaration the boyfriend declaration about i don't even care that you don't like me i'm used to it i wouldn't mm. know what to do if you did but i like you i like this i like helping you i like knowing that you're okay when you didn't come back to school this autumn when you were missing i thought i was going to lose my mind yeah and like he just he missed him and he's able to finally go right this is why because i care about him not because we're mortal enemies but because i care about him and i've cared about him this whole time and he just goes Okay, and he folds it in, and I love that. Brain. Yeah, and I love that he says that to Baz as well, because Baz, I think, you know, is still a bit weird about why this has happened and why mm. now. Like he's going through his own trauma with this whole thing. Like he's just trying to set himself on fire. Like we can't underscore this, and also he was just in a coffin for six weeks. Like yeah. there's a lot of unprocessed trauma in this situation. Yeah, but then for Simon to be like, you know when you were missing I was really worried about you it's important for him to know that this isn't something that Simon's just like doing on a whim like this yeah. is something that's been growing for a while Ugh. I love these boys so much me I just too. love them I also love how he won't give an inch even though I think he should give inches this is Baz oh yeah this isn't anything and I slept in your arms but fitfully like he's just not not <laughs> yielding at all um I just watched some Shit's Creek 
this mm-hmm. week and it, that was like such strong David Rose vibes like David would also be like fitfully yes oh my gosh absolutely he would make a fantastic Baz to be honest he has the entire energy <laughs> doesn't he Baz is not quite as dramatic as David is though like David is really into the drama which I really enjoy yeah I'd give him like 10 years though I know, it could be like, when we do a future, these guys in the future, we, we need that spinoff, and then... <laughs> well, Scattered Showers is coming out at some point. I know, so. I'm so excited. I can't I, think about it. I'm excited too. That'll be good for me, because, you know, it comes out after the last Dreamer trilogy book comes out, yeah, so it'll can dig me out of my hole that I will no doubt be in. Well, and the Scholomance book, the third Scholomancy book is coming oh, out good. too so in I can like read the September. Yeah. I'm going to have to reread the whole trilogy at this, like I'm going to have to just bang, bang, bang. I think that's going to be a big month for us, like September, October, November. We're just going to be yikes reading and feeling everything. I'll have to reread all the, the Dreamer trilogy books in preparation and I just live in fear. Live in fear. It's fine. We're going to be fine. We'll be fine. Everything's fine. Um, did you have anything else? I did want to flag that I think it's really interesting that Eb knows nothing about Nicodemus's life because he never talks back because that's too much like mm. a conversation. It's like he's keeping himself a secret from her but he's showing up for her still because he knows that she loves him and she misses him and I feel like they have a genuine understanding of, of who they are. Yeah. Who each other is and I really love mm. that about both of them. I love that he goes inside to look for her even though he's scared he can't go in anymore and I love that he actually takes a minute to feel sorry for himself in the kitchen because you know he hasn't been back in his family home in 20 something years i love that he immediately decides he's going to go and rescue her from the mage but i really think it's important that we know that he's kept himself a secret like he doesn't talk to fee either even though when he talks about what he would have if he had his life if he were still alive he would have a couple of kids with fee like that's what he would imagine yeah and he talks about how he could cross paths with her but he chooses not to right yeah he holds himself apart he holds himself secret away from everyone and I think that that takes courage and conviction to do that it's interesting yeah because I don't think he regrets what he did but he regrets that it didn't go the way that he wanted it to right like he wanted to be basically Baz but like in charge of all the vampires Mm -hmm. and he thought that was gonna give him all this power and obviously that didn't work they took his wand and then they took his fangs they took like he made both things from him yeah yeah but he doesn't seem like he doesn't seem regretful about it, right? Like he's not haunted by his decision. He's still he's still got quite a bit of pride in it. Yeah. It's interesting. He's got a lot of ego. He does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. I think he has all of the ego and Eva has all of the um compassion. Empathy. Yeah. yeah, but I love the two of them. Also, I love that we find out that Eb is gay. I think that's important. I love that. That's just a little aside that made me happy. Was that she's I also love that gay. Yeah, and she had a crush on the dryad, right? And then we'll see the dryad is so upset later. Yeah. I just love that for them. I think if you're if you're going to be forever in unrequited love with someone, you might as well live near them and walk around their wood with your goats, you know? Yeah. Eb deserved better. Hashtag justice for Eb. Eb's whole situation makes me so angry. And we will get into that. Not next week, but the week after. But yeah. prepare for some A-plus ranting. Yeah. This book just hurts. In a good way. I mean, thanks, Rainbow. But also, how dare you? I'm actually, yeah, thanks, Rainbow. And thanks for writing more of them. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's better with more context, right? The more we have, the better it is. I think so. I know there's a lot of people who don't agree with that, but I think so. I just love them so much. I will read these books forever. I think that's it for me. Did you have anything else? No, that was all of mine. Did you have an in-depth marginalia? I do. So my in-depth marginalia is after Simon's come back for... 
Christmas Eve dinner and they've had mm. the dinner and then Mordelia corners him and asks him if he told Father Christmas about where he is so he wouldn't miss out on presents and then it prompts Baz to ask Simon if he, you know, ever believed in Father Christmas. And it's page 387 and it says, I believed him and I believed in him, Baz says. And then the year after my mother died, he didn't come. I thought I'd been very, very bad. So I think this relates to our theme because the whole concept of Father Christmas is founded on secrecy. Like parents are lying to their kids, they're hiding <laughs> presents, you're creating an elaborate ruse to make it look like this man came in the evening and left some presents, like this whole thing. Yeah, here you leave and out carrots for the reindeer to eat. Yeah. And in the US craziness. It's People do footprints and flower. That's not even to get into this whole elf in the shelf nonsense, which I am fundamentally opposed to. I don't like being gaslit. I feel like I'm being gaslit that this uh -huh. has always been a thing and it's not. It's no. only been like a trend in the last couple of years and people act like it's this, you know, ye olde Christmas tradition. No, it's not. Don't act that way. I don't like it. Don't introduce a surveillance state. Like, look, I read Foucault. I did an yeah, entire class yeah. on Foucault. We are not panopticoning <laughs> the house for the Christmas spirit. Thank you, but it's not happening. Elf on the Shelf can die in a fire. Not my favorite thing. No, I don't like it. I don't know why you need someone to be, like, surveilling. Isn't the whole point that, you know, Santa is already omniscient? Like, that is the whole deal. He's keeping a list. He's checking it twice. We don't need an elf. We don't need to introduce an elf system. Yes. And let anyway. me also say, all of your Santa presents, no matter who you are, should be simple and humble because if we make it about how good you are, then the kids whose parents mm. can't afford a lot of stuff are going to feel like they were bad, and that is not okay. So get your kids lots of socks, maybe one nice present, save the real big stuff for when like they open them for mom and dad because there are kids out there who don't get a lot of presents who are going to feel really bad that they didn't get a PlayStation 12 or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. One parent to any other parents who might be listening... This is my big beef. Like, make the Santa presents pretty normal. Like, I love the socks and undies and the stocking, man. That's my jam. Anyway. Um, which also plays into expectation, right? Because, mm. like, everything about Father Christmas is about expectation. Is the idea that yeah. you're going to wake up to some presents. And then I think you see how devastating that is for Baz here. Five-year-old Baz, yeah. having lost his mum, thinking he's so very bad. And I'm sorry, but the fact that he's just been turned into a vampire, like, you can't tell me there isn't some spectacular internalized self-hatred happening uh -huh. right in this moment where he's like, oh... I'm a vampire, therefore I don't get presents because I'm bad now, right? Like, mm -hmm. no, no, no. He is five years old. I'm not into it. Kids aren't bad. It actually just reminded me of Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. So, you know, you've got Jack. He stumbles onto this world that he doesn't really understand. He doesn't have any context for. He can't yeah. figure out what the secret is of Christmas, but he decides he wants to have it, right? So he just mm. takes over, makes Christmas his own thing. And then he can't really bother. Like, he doesn't really understand. So he can't be bothered putting in the time to figure it out. He just yeah. takes over and ultimately fails. So, you know, they kidnap Santa and they make a bunch of terrifying toys and just ruin Christmas. And it's only when he recognizes that he's made a mistake and, like, Santa can fix everything that he really understands what Christmas is about. Yeah. I feel like secrets are unknowable by definition. Often you only see one part in the light at any one time and the rest mm. of it is shrouded in shadow. So you don't have the context. You don't have all the information. And it's not a good way to make decisions. Yeah. So I like I think going forward it's important to remember that only the person who has all the information, the person whose secret it is, can make any decisions. Don't do anything without them knowing, basically. Don't go spreading it around. And just, like, mind your business. It's not yeah. your business. Yeah. It's just not. That is so <sighs> good. I love that. And I love that. I love The Nightmare Before Christmas, so I love that you brought that up, too. I can't see it as anything other than a lesson in, like, what happens when you try to do cu cultural appropriation. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it, like, when you look at it through that lens and you're like, oh, right, that's why it doesn't work. Like... 
Santa, it's not saying that Santa needs to be the only person who does Christmas stuff, but like we can experience and appreciate other cultures without taking them on as our own. Yeah, and like I think it's so telling in that as well because Jack, he tries to get into it. Like, you know, he sequesters himself into his house and he tries to understand Christmas mm-hmm. and he can't figure it out. And then he's like, eh, doesn't matter. I'll just take it and make it my own. Like, that is the problem right there. Like, if you want to learn about something, that's great. But you can't just go, oh, this is too hard. I'll just make it my own. Like, no, no, no. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I love that Santa doesn't really forgive him. He's still really mad at him at the end. But he lets him have a little bit of snow. Which, you a little know, bit of Christmas. Magic of Christmas. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is your in-depth marginalia? Well, it actually dovetails really nicely with your idea that the only person who has all the information is the person with the secret. So um, I chose two quotes from Lucy's section because I love her and she also deserved better. Hashtag justice for Lucy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I chose on page 400. He's still more good than bad, I think. It just goes to show you how much of both a person can hold. And mm-hmm. then on page 403, so much of this is his fault. I want you to be angry with him. But I never asked to leave. I never asked him to let me go. And I think this is really important because I think it would be really easy for us to view Lucy as this passive person who isn't in charge of her own narrative. So in this context, she's talking about her relationship with Davy. She's not excusing him. She's not justifying her actions. She's not even forgiving him or whatever. She's just saying that she's always seen the measure of him and she's always loved him. But she recognizes that on balance, like he has more good than bad. But she's kind of telling on herself too. So the way it relates to the themes is that they're entire relationship once they left school was this hidden secretive thing right like she wrote her mother all these letters that were lies they hid themselves away she stopped communicating with her friends because she didn't want to deal with their opinions about him which Matali even acknowledged was part of why they stopped talking to each other but she chose that secret life like she chose it and she wanted to be there with him and she she also didn't want to deal with the expectations that she should be doing something else like she didn't want to worry about her family having things to say about her or you know she didn't want Matali's expectations and she didn't want to tell her even when things were bad so I think it's really important to look at the whole of her relationship so I guess for other texts I think that there's a lot in society and in culture and in media that tells us that love we hold love up to be like a precious immutable thing but love does change and and this is the other thing like love can be abundant it is not so scarce that you have to stay with someone but love can also be bad like staying with someone you love who is not a great person more good than bad but a lot of bad is not a good enough reason even if you think you can temper it even if you think you can help it's okay to love someone and it's okay to break your own heart um like vanessa says in praying with jane Eyre, there was a point in her relationship where she had to break her own heart and there was a point in jane Eyre where jane had to break her own heart like it is okay to break your own heart to do that so i think going forward i just want to remember that the way that lucy loved davy was okay for her but she's aware that it had consequences that reach even further and she's unhappy about them and she's angry but also she is taking responsibility for herself in that too and saying like yes I chose this and yes I stayed and yes he's responsible for these things but this is my part in it it's as she says you know it's it's not all good on all bad like Mm -hmm. there's both it's not just black and white these are complicated things when you're involving emotions any situation is complicated it's the same when people like why didn't she just leave it's so often it's not that easy it takes a person an average of seven times to leave an abusive relationship seven tries to leave but i think you know this whole situation with like kanye west and kim kardashian is just like so scary and just shows why it's so hard for women to leave Mm. relationships right like if someone like kim kardashian can't shake you know someone as obsessive as kanye then what hope does your average woman has who's stuck in a town where she doesn't have any support or any resources or anything right like it's just yeah it's a scary thing legit scary and especially someone who deliberately isolated themselves because they didn't want to deal with the expectations of others it's interesting because I remember when I was little, 
you know, as a parent, I'm sure you've had this thing where you don't want your kids to keep secrets, right? Like secrets can be quite dangerous in a way. And I remember my mum always used to say to me, you know, if you feel like you have to keep something secret, then maybe it's not a good thing. Like if you feel like you can't tell someone, then Mm. maybe that is not the right space you want to be in. And I often think about that, like even now as an adult, I'll think about why do I feel like I can't tell anyone about this? Why do I feel like this is something that I have to lock down? What is actually going on here? What is it? What is it? Shame? Is it something else? What am I afraid of? like why do I want to keep this secret so yeah it's an interesting thing where you're like you want to lock it down but often if you have that impulse it means you need to do some deeper digging into why you have that impulse Mm -hmm. well do you have a character you'd like to spotlight this week um yes I would like to spotlight Simon he's trying so hard he's trying to talk to Baz Baz is not making it easy he's trying to communicate that he doesn't feel like he's going to do a good job but he wants to try anyway he wants to be honest even though he doesn't know if he can put a label to himself and he keeps saying that like he keeps saying I don't want to put a label to myself but I want to be honest about how I'm feeling and I love that he's making himself vulnerable again and again for someone who has hurt him and will continue to hurt him and he's also calling him out on that so I just think he's doing really good this week and I'm really proud of him good job Simon he is doing good bless him how about you do you have someone you want to spotlight this week I actually want to spotlight Agatha. I think uninviting Simon from Christmas was a jerk move, and I think being so contrary at Baz's is also (laughs) not helpful. But she did not ask for any of that. Mm -hmm. No one listens to what she wants. Her parents are just actually really absent from her life. No one seems to care about what she wants or what she wants for her future or even what she wants for her present. No one sees her, and I think that's incredibly lonely. So I just wanted to spotlight her for that because... You know, even when we act like jerks, we deserve to be seen for who we are Mm -hmm. and not what others want us to be. I think Simon sees her more than anyone else and he is not the person she wants to see her. No. And that's hard. I just remember when I first read this book, I had very little patience for Agatha. Like that was 2015. Mm -hmm. I guess I was in a different part of my life as well, but I just didn't really engage with her as a character. And on this reading in particular, I just really feel for her. I just see a lot of bits where she is just being let down by the people around her, right? Where she needs to be supported and like just helped. And she is just, they just leave her there at Christmas Eve. They go on this dinner that they told her she should come to and they just leave her. She's like, her parents are like the parents in Stranger Things who drive me insane. (laughs) I'm like, where are these parents? Why are these children just roaming the streets in the middle of the night? Like, no. No, do better. Well, beloveds. I think of them more as like the home alone parents who just have so many other things to look after that they like literally forget their kid and leave them behind. No, they have one child. One child. One job. I know. Look, I think that because she goes away, this is my thing. I think because she goes away to school, they just assume that she's fine. And she's 19 as well, right? Like she's. Yeah, yeah. Or 18. How old are they? She's 19. She said, I'm only 19 in the last section when she was making gingerbread cookies. Yeah, so she's like old enough to look after herself. But I think if you've told her to come to Christmas dinner and then you just leave without her, like go and check on her at least. I don't know. I I just speaking as an only child. I'm just saying that would never have happened. My kingdom for being forgotten once behind, (laughs) left behind, just once. No, was not happening. And I'm one of five and it was like, my parents were like, oh, thank God, we've got a sitter. Run, run fast. <laughs> my friend Meredith always jokes about that because she's one of four and she's like, by the time she came along, you know, there are no photos of her. No one cared anymore when she was a baby. It's fine. There's been, you know, others. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah. I still take so many pictures of my kids. But back in the day. Yeah. 
didn't have iPhones. Yeah, yeah. I saw a tweet the other day that was so funny. It was like, my parents have 12 photos of me from 1998. I have 12 <laughs> photos of my son from 6.05 to 6.08 this morning, and I can't delete any of them. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So weird, hey? Did I do a photo shoot with my son today? I absolutely did. Aww. Okay, so next week we'll be reading chapters 71 to 79 on the theme of destruction. I can't wait. Let's break some things. Ooh. It's been a long time coming. I know. It's starting to get there, isn't it? getting more and more angry as we go well thank you jen thank you so much thanks for taking my mind off of the lurgy i'm happy to assist thank you for another delightful saturday evening always a pleasure treasure okay we'll see you next week see you next time bye bye thanks for joining us today marginally pod is written edited and produced by jen d and jen b with additional editing and production support by simon b if you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginally Pod on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com. 